Thank you, team. I pray tonight, um, well, this morning, should I say, uh, as we look to Jesus, we look to his word with great anticipation that he will meet us right where we are. Um, thank you so much for being in the house of God this morning. I pray for our Warrington campus. We're so glad that you are joining us. We know that God is at work on the west side of town, and uh, we have some phenomenal things that God is doing with baptisms, and so many people are taking the challenge to make their faith public, and we praise God for what He's doing uh, on our Warrington campus. And those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm inviting you today to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. To me, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans, um, and I, I pray that in our time together in this preaching hour, we will really, really speak the name of Jesus. But I pray today that you will leave never the same way that you came in. I, I'm, I'm asking today that for you to open your hearts and let the Word of God really take root so that we may be challenged by God's Word. Now, when you look at the book of Romans, this heavy-hitting theological digest, the book of Romans is broken into four sections. The first section you will read is about the wrath of God. And we know about the Roman road comes through that when you share Christ with someone. And after the wrath of God, the second section deals with the grace of God. And after we deal with the grace of God, the third section in the book of Romans talks about the plan of God. And we know that he has great plans for us. But beginning in chapter 12 of the book of Romans, this is what I would call the will of God. And chapter 12 is like the graduation of the entire book that you have been learning about who Jesus how to live. Therefore, now do something with who you know. And so the book of Romans is teaching us of who God is and who we are. It calls us to a challenge in chapter 12 to do something about it now, the will of God. So Romans chapter 12, I'll read the first two verses and I'll jump around this chapter for us to get an understanding of what the Lord wants to challenge us today. Romans chapter 12 and read verse number 1. I appeal to you therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And every time I read these first two verses in Romans chapter 12, I continuously underline the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. And it's only by the mercies of God that we are here today. And I look at who God is throughout the Old Testament, and I, and I look at my life standing here before you today. It's only by the mercies of God that God does not strike me down because I am so unworthy. It's by the mercies of God, by His rich mercy, 
that Jesus came to die for us, that He can bring us to God the Father, saved, made righteous, and to spend eternity with our living God. So in this preaching hour, we'll talk about the gospel's glorious work in our lives. The gospel's glorious work in our lives. And if you're taking notes, the first point we talk about is the gospel is not merely doctrinal truth, but lives that connect with God. The gospel in our lives, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not merely doctrinal truth, but lives that connect with God. When you study, and when you study doctrine, you read all about and learn all about who Jesus is. And if you look at the doctrine truth of who Jesus is, and you look, look at him closely from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and all you can find that if you want to know God, you want to know people. And John quoted for us John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved his people. And when we look at the study of who God is, the first thing you are reminded is that he loves people. You cannot be present here today to say, I know God, but don't know his people. And Jesus was asked the question, what is the great, love the Lord your God. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, and your strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor. And it's hard to love your neighbor sometimes, amen? But do you know it's hard to love difficult people? Because you are one of them. Somebody else calls you a neighbor. And so I'm afraid today in our evangelical churches, we hang so tightly to doctrinal truth that we forget to connect with God's people. John Acuff writes, people are drowning in content and starving for community. You say, when you say you're coming close to God, when you draw close to God, the Spirit of God will draw you close to people. And so God is teaching us from His Word. You learned chapter 1 to chapter 11. And chapter 11, verse number 36 in the book of Romans, from God, from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So he's calling us to all the doctrinal truth, to an act of worship. And the best way we worship the living God is how we respond to the people all around us. I pray today, church of the living God, that we will respond in love. Because the more doctrinal truth you hear about who God is and how wonderfully he loves us, our lives must delight in communion with Him. The more you know who God is, the more time you want to spend with Him. And the more you know ugly you see yourself before Him. And you ask yourself this question, 
how come God loves me so much? Don't you ask yourself the question? I mean, I know me. I don't know how destiny loves me. I don't. <laughs> but destiny did not die for me. Somebody who knows you and knows the ugliness about you died for you. Because Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, for while we were still weak, while we were still powerless, while we were still in sin, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And if you are here today and you're watching from the Warrington campus and you say, I'm just not ready, you will never be ready. Jesus Christ came to make you ready before the Father. Jesus Christ came to make His Father our Father. So just at the right time, while we were still in sin, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly lives that delight in communion with Him. Because faith is not looking at self, faith is looking at Christ. By the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, not only lives that delight in communion with God, but lives that delight to do His will, to follow Him. So if you know deep doctrinal truth, if you know God, then you are inclined to be drawn closer to Him. And when you draw closer to Him, you must be drawn closer to His people. We're talking about this year in February, about the Asbury revival that broke out. Incredible story of how college students are calling the nation and the world to its knees. And so I began to look at Asbury University. It was in February 3rd, 1970, when the first revival broke out. Dr. Kinlaw, the president, was out of town preaching on an assignment in Canada. And while the president is away, revival breaks out. <laughs> Figure that out. <laughs> and so he gets a call when he entered his hotel room to get a call from the academic dean. And he's like, okay, what went wrong? And the academic dean tells Dr. Kinlaw, we cannot dismiss chapel. It's like, it's 8 p.m. Yes, doc, it's 8 p.m. and we cannot dismiss chapel because the students are having a fresh anointing from Jesus. 1973, oh, sorry, 1970, February 3rd. So Dr. Kinlaw said, okay, let's see what happens in the morning. He gets a call in the morning. They still did not go back to classes. And so after two days, Dr. Kinlaw flew back to Kentucky. And as the president walked into chapel, he walked in and said, I'm not going to stand in the way. I mean, after all, revival happened in my absence. So he stood in the back of the room and he watched what was going on. And later on that afternoon, a young girl came to him. 
And, he, and she said, Dr. Kinlaw, can I please speak to you? And he said, sure, let's go on into the hallway. And she said these words to him. I need your help, Dr. Kinlaw. He said, okay, what can I do for you? And she said these words, I am a liar. Okay. And she said, it's not okay that I lie all the time. What does the president do? So the president said, okay, who was the last person you lied to? And she said, that will kill me. And the president said, no, go to them and confess. That will not kill you. That will free you. And so she went off to that person. And the next day, in that evening, there was a long line to the telephone booth. Because parents told the students, it's really expensive for you to call home. So please call after hours when it is cheaper to call home. You know what I'm talking about, many of you. <laughs> I can't say that in the second service, but I can say it here. <laughs> this girl was still standing in line. Dr. Kinlaw went and said, how's it going? With tears in her eyes, she said, I'm standing in line to call the 34th person that I lied to. Students stood in line to call the parents, and the parent says, what is the emergency? Why have you called? And the student said, this is a great emergency, but also a celebration. I finally accepted Jesus. And then dad said, excuse me, I thought you were already a Christian. No, 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 no. He said, I knew the doctrinal truth about God, but I did not accept it in my heart. Grace is a fuel for obedience. It's not your fuel for disobedience. So you don't sin that grace may abound. No, no. So doctrinal truth. The gospel is not merely doctrinal truth. If you are seated here today and you know about God, it's just not knowing about God. It's about connecting with people so that they can experience God through you. Be very careful, my friends, that Jesus doesn't become that really supportive friend that blindly affirms everything you want. And when he convicts you of your sin, you have a problem with it. I think you and I approach a living God because we want to give him glory and we want to draw closer to him. And the only way you can give him glory and draw closer to him is make the doctrinal truth applicable in your life. So we come about the God's glorious work in the gospel. And God will call us to do some things that are most challenging to us. Because he really calls us to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. And for that young girl to stand in line, to use her coins to call people that she lied to was the beginning 
of experiencing doctrinal truth in a whole new way. It's by the mercies of God that God loves liars, but it does not want to leave you to be a continual, habitual liar. Today, he wants to set you free. So we look at the gospel and its marvelous work it does in our lives. But not only the gospel's glorious work, it's not only about the doctrinal truth. The gospel does not produce, listen to me, my friends, the gospel does not produce perpetual spectators, but mobilizes its hearers to make a difference. The gospel does not produce perpetual spectators, Rather, the gospel mobilizes you, those you accepted the gospel, to go out and to make a difference. You see, the gospel is not for you to sit with it. The gospel comes to you because it's adding to somebody else. I look at Romans chapter 12 and the call of God that he has upon us. Look at verse number 6. And you know he talks about the gifts of grace. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Because the gospel message is not only for proclaiming and believing, it is for living. We know this truth. The Christian life is not an attempt to earn God's love. It's a response to God's love. We know that. We're not saved by works. But when you are saved, you got to get to work. Why you say that, Sean? Because we love, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 34... We love as he first loved us. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifices to God. Paul is teaching us God takes the initiative and moves towards us. Now we take the initiative and move towards others. So maturity in your Christian faith is about dependence on God and others around you. If you want to grow in your maturity in Christ, you've got to draw close to God and you've got to grow close to people around you. This week about my friend Beth Harris, I heard the word mentor, friend, sister, disciple maker, loving, caring, and the list goes on. Because she loved because God first loved her. And every time when people got together, they grew in maturity because why? She depended on you and you depended on her. We love because he first loved us. But we also serve because he first served us. 
Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Buck Waters, my good friend, many of you know him, he told me it's really hard to reach people you don't love. It's really hard to reach people you don't love. I'm asking you today in the name of Jesus, make friends with nobodies and you don't be that somebody. Because the word of God teaches us having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. How can you use them? You can use them from stop being a spectator and start being a mobilizer. Empower others close to you to live out their giftedness for the glory of Jesus. Be an encourager. Use your bucket of gas when you see something good. Fuel it. When you see something bad, use water. <laughs> you don't want to use and confuse the buckets. But church of the living God, we are so aligned doctrinally. And we are so, when you come to content, we are drowning in content, the evangelical church. But we are starving for community because when you share your weakness in your community, you'll be judged. When you share your struggle, you'll be talked about. You see, if you believe in the living God, God is all about broken people because I am one of them. And you are one of them. And if you are broken, I'm praying, I'm asking you, use your giftedness that God has given you to serve the broken people around us. That's what Beth Harris did. Make friends with nobodies. Quit being that somebody. Always you think you have it figured out. By the mercies of God, and I'm, I'm reading this text and I'm trying to apply it in my life, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that we will love like he first loved us. We will serve because he first served us. But let me tell you guys, we will grow as a body of believers. And when the church grows, great things happen. Do you know something? We are God's plan A. Look around you. There is no plan B. Jesus is not going to die again. He's not going to start another church. He died. He built his church. Look around you. We are the hope for humanity to take the good news of Jesus Christ. Look around us. We are the A-team. Check this out. We are the A-team. Ephesians chapter 4, and many of you know this scripture, talks about the unity of the body of Christ. This is what it calls us to, verse number 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. 
He's saying we love because he first loved us. We serve because he first loved us. And guess what happens? When we do that, we grow. And we grow healthy. There is one gospel that redeems an individual. And that same one gospel will restore our city. So what I'm trying to tell us is, when we love as God first loved us, when we serve as God first served us, we grow as a body. And when we grow as a body in unity, we are better for our city. If you and I are divided in this room, we have a lost hope for our city. If you and I are not serving one another in love, forget about Pensacola. Because everyone's driving past the most busiest intersection in Santa Rosa County, looks into this big old building and all the cars in the parking lot thinking we have it figured out. So you want to build a bridge to racial reconciliation? Love as the Lord has loved you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Serve as the Lord has served you. Give as the Lord has given you. Love everyone you come in contact with because, let me tell you guys, doctrinal truth will mean nothing if we got all our I's dotted and all our T's crossed and don't care about the people around us. We have giftedness. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. So the gospel message does not produce spectators, my friend. The gospel message gives us sweat and tears and helps us, encourages us to give it all we got, like how Jesus gave all he had. It's hard. We grow. <laughs> I look at the life of Jesus. <clears throat> when Jesus looked into the community, he wept. You remember when Jesus walked in John chapter 11 to Martha? Jesus wept. It's okay to mourn. Jesus did. But greater than that, Jesus wept because he saw the lostness around him. Do you weep for your city? When you're driving in the city, do you weep over your city? Or do you complain over your city? Because God news for you, God did not send his son Jesus to condemn the world, and I doubt he sent you. He called us to love the world and be the light in the darkness. That's what he called us to. I know we want all the doctrinal truth, but it'll be useless if we're not practicing what we know. God has given you opportunities to sit in places and be the lighthouse. Don't shy away from the truth. Be an evangelist 
If you know Jesus, share Jesus. Speak the life of Jesus wherever you live, where you work, and where you play. Speak Jesus. But not only the gospel helps us to not merely doctrinal truth, but lives that connect with God. Not only the gospel does not only produce perpetual spectators, but mobilizes, but hear me out, my friends. The gospel displays how we love generously and how we live sacrificially. Look at scripture, and one of my favorite verses of this is in, look at verse number nine. Romans 12, verse number 9. Let love be genuine. Come on. Is there any other kind of love? Then it's not love. Let love be genuine. And later on in verse number 15, one of my highlights, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's the ways of Jesus. Jesus loved to throw a party. He loved to celebrate. And when he's not celebrating, he's dividing pain. Do you have a community that multiplies your joys and divides your pain? Because the gospel displays how to love genuinely and how to live generously. Who is at your dinner table? Just your connection group because you like to hang out or you're entertaining strangers? Who's on your schedule for this week? In the New Testament, when it talks about strangers, hospitality, it's being a lover to a stranger, not hanging out with your buddy. You're just hanging out. That's not hospitality. Hospitality in the New Testament is being a lover of strangers. Where strangers become neighbors and neighbors become family. And so when we look at the life that we call to live in biblical community. That is why through this tragedy of the losing of a dear friend, we can make it because we have a community to multiply our joys and divide our pains. Do you have that community? Do you have the people around you that can multiply your joys and divide your pain? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged in Germany for his witness, a martyr. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich writes, and I quote, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It is grace, nothing but grace. To be with fellow Christians, it's a privilege. And so if you are in relationships, don't be just surface relationships. Satan laughs at surface relationships. But Satan trembles for deep, biblical, trustworthy, accountable relationships. And so the relationship that you have, it hurts so much because we loved so deeply. You know, when I think about surface relationships, think about the Lion King. You know, Simba took his girl with him to the elephant graveyard. 
how many of you watched The Lion King, everybody? Your grandkids made you watch it, yes. And so, so they were gone. They were not supposed to go there. But they were there. And the hyenas came to attack them. And Simba began to show off to his girl what a loud roar he had. And the enemy began to laugh at him. He tried again. The hyenas laughed at him again. But the third time, the father roared. You see, when you have relationships that are so surface, the enemy laughs at you. Deep biblical relationships are not surface relationships. Deep biblical relationships is Titus chapter 2, deep relationships. That an invested life is a multiplying life. And so you and I here are walking through different tragedies and pains and difficulties in our life. Your surface relationship with people ain't going to help you. It's those ones that are deep that's going to help you. So take time to build deep, lasting relationships. Why? Because we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. As I said, we are drowning with content and we are starving for community. At our Warrington campus, find a few people. Create a group. Go deep and change the world. Stand in line to make telephone calls, to call someone and say, I'm sorry, let's start over again. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because if Satan cannot hinder your arrival in heaven, he will at least bruise you on your way there. And when he's bruising you on your way there, you need people to divide your pain with you. So in this great graduation chapter of Romans chapter 12, well enough you know that God is three in one. Praise God that you understand that. <laughs> I don't. Hey, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they are one. Pray by faith. I believe. Do you understand? I don't know. But I believe. I believe, I believe, and I believe. And in this painful time for all of Baptist Church, put to practice what you believe and connect with people to help you through this journey you are walking along. Just don't become a spectator. Get involved in what God is doing. So this week, mentorship, friendship, sister, discipleship, caring, loving, Starbucks, lunch. Do you know why? Because somebody valued true community. So people always ask me, hey, Sean, how do you know revival is coming as John comes to play? How do you know revival is coming? And I, I learned this from somewhere. I'm stealing it from somewhere. I'm just letting you know. Church of the living God, I don't know what, why this week happened. I don't. But I do know one thing when things like this happen. Sleepy Christians wake up. Amen? 
cultural Christians get real and lost people get saved. I don't know where you are today, but you are in that category. Sleepy Christians, wake up! Cultural Christians, get real! And if you are lost today and you don't know Jesus, come to know Him. And I'm giving you a word today. See these people all around you? I'm putting them on the spot. They will love you like never before. Because that's what we call to. Amen? So I pray all over this place, won't you stand and sing? Give glory to God. You'll see this image on the screen. That's one of my favorite images. Our entire team has it. We are called to multiply your joys and divide your pain. The altar... If, you, if, if, if the altar is where you will want me, God, and where you will meet me, then I will meet you there. But I'm asking you, families, loved ones, don't leave this place knowing all about God, but not experiencing it with God's people. God is alive. He died. He rose again so that He can spend time with people that He loves. I'm calling you today to the altar. Let's make a fresh, fresh commitment to King Jesus. That the God that I know will become real with the people that I know. May the Spirit of God search your heart today. I'm willing to meet you if God is calling you.